1: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is Harlan Landis, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast.
1: I want to touch people's lives. I want to make a difference. I want to do things that matter. And looking back at my life, there was a time when I felt like I did. The homeless man approached me while I was sitting on the field after a heavy workout at the gym of jogging and lifting weights. I was exhausted. We chatted for a few minutes, and then I got hungry and walked across the street, bought a sandwich and a few drinks, returned, and split the sandwich between the two of us, handed him over one of the drinks, and we ate. Together. After about 30 minutes and a little bit of conversation, he dusted himself off and left. And I remember thinking at that moment like I was making a difference. And this was really a pivot point in my life. Because afterwards, I would go to medical school and become a doctor. And changing people's lives would become part of the job that I did. And something about when helping became systematized, it lost its joy. I no longer felt like I was changing the world I no longer felt like I was helping or connecting with people. I was doing my job. I had become like Zeus in my white coat, stethoscope, commanding attention when I walked into the exam room, god of thunder, god of lightning, king of Olympus. I was detached. I was playing a role that no longer felt authentic. Maybe instead of being Zeus, I wanted to be Plutus, blind and lame, god of wealth, making a difference person by person, quietly, one at a time, changing lives. I had become a Zeus. I had become a king of my profession. I had become one of those identified in the world as a helper And I wanted to trade it all in to be Plutus. Listen, I could say a million nice things about Harlan Luke Landis. I mean, the guy has his own awards. He has his own charitable organization. The list goes on and on. But let me tell you something. One of the proudest moments of my life is when the Earn and Invest podcast won the Plutus Award for the Best New Personal Finance Podcast. I was so excited and stunned and thrilled. I knew everything about the Plutus Awards. I had heard of them. I had strived towards them. But you know what I didn't know? I didn't know much about the guy who created them. I didn't know much about Harlan Landis. So first and foremost, Harlan, thank you so much for creating the Plutus Awards. It was such an honor and a privilege
0: Well, (laughs) I'm just happy to be a part of this financial media community and find ways to celebrate all the great work that everyone's doing. So I am thanking you for putting together this amazing podcast. Harlan, where did you come up with the name Plutus? I had always been a fan, although not an expert in mythology and classics and things like that. I discovered that Plutus and why we have the prefix Pluto to mean finances or money in English actually comes from the Greek god Plutus and not Pluto. Plutus was the mythological god of money in ancient Greece. I just kind of liked that whole thing, and it seemed to be a name that wasn't used extensively elsewhere, so I thought it was a cool name, and so we used that for the awards, and the awards kind of came out of what are the things that could we do to bring some recognition to independent financial media versus traditional financial media, and how can we show appreciation for people who are putting out great, great things online, and... How can we subtly influence the conversation so that more people see, well, they're getting awarded for being good in this way by helping people, so maybe I should help people in this way too. That was the idea behind the Plutus Awards, and it's kind of an extension of some other community projects that I had started prior to that, like the Carnival of Personal Finance and pfblogs.org, neither of which exist anymore. But they were community-focused, collaborative projects that would bring attention to to this community. And they kind of coalesced into the Plutus Awards. And when FinCon was founded, PT asked if I could bring the Plutus Awards to FinCon. I thought it was a great opportunity to hold a ceremony. So now we do a ceremony every year. And that has been a fantastic way to bring more attention, get people excited about what we're all about, and just celebrate each other. I want to talk just a touch more about Plutus's
1: branding, because I think it says a lot about your foundation and the words, maybe not on purpose, but some interesting facts I found online about Plutus. Plutus was blinded by Zeus so that he wouldn't be prejudiced about who he distributed wealth to. Plutus was also handicapped and had wings, and that was supposed to signify that maybe wealth was a long time in coming, but then could fly away quickly. And Plutus was often pictured as a baby in the arms of Tyche, the goddess of good fortune, or Irene, the goddess of peace, to show that wealth rarely comes alone. And you had mentioned Pluto before. Plutus is not to be confused with Pluto, who is the god of the underworld. So Plutus is an interesting figure, especially since when you look at Greek mythology, you have all these strong, well-known gods like Zeus Plutus wasn't like that at all. Plutus was more behind the scenes, was not the beautiful picture of Greek mythology.
0: Yeah. And it's really interesting that you make those connections because it's something that I haven't thought about in probably 10 years or so. But yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense and fits right in with both the philosophy of the organization in terms of what we feel we kind of want to see in this community and my own personal beliefs as well. So thank you for bringing that up. That's really interesting. I didn't know what Plutus was,
1: and yet it was an awards that I knew a lot about. And when I won the award, I went back and started looking at it going, well, what really is this? And I felt it was a good metaphor for some of what you do. I didn't know who Harlan Landis was, but I knew what the Plutus Awards were. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I tie that to your brand, too. You're not always up and in front and at the center of what you do. In fact, the Plutus Foundation, the Plutus Awards itself, I feel, have
0: grown a life of their own. Is that on purpose? (laughs) I'm not great at personal branding. I like to not be the center of attention in most situations. I like to put attention onto work and other people who are doing work. I want to take
1: you back to a more difficult time in your life. Let's talk about after graduating college. What were you doing? What was your first job and what were your financial prospects?
0: I was a student of music education in college. Music is a passion that I've had throughout my life growing up. And certainly it was something that was strong enough to draw me to study it in college with the intent of being a music teacher. Throughout college, I kind of Pulled a little bit away from the idea of teaching and more towards the idea of working in nonprofit and just being a part of arts in a different way. My first job out of college was for a nonprofit, my first major job anyway, the job that set me off in a career direction, working for an organization that I had been an intern for the previous summer. It was kind of the job of my dreams. It was exactly what I felt like I should be doing with my life. Unfortunately, it was not a great place to work and not a great experience. Not only was I putting in a whole lot of work, probably 80 hours a week during certain times of the year, driving myself all over the region and many late nights and frustrating times. On top of that, it was a nonprofit salary, which I was not really really prepared for just coming out of college and being on my own for the first time i was looking for ways to cut back my expenses like anyone would suggest but i was finding it really difficult the cost for me to be an employee there was higher than what i was being paid as much as i could save as much as i can reduce my expenses i was still not coming out even at the end of every month. And all the financial advice, which I wasn't even paying attention to at the time because I was still pretty young and not really sure. All the personal finance advice couldn't help me at that time. I just ignored everything. I was using credit cards, and I wouldn't look at the bills, I drove so much, I piled up speeding tickets, I wouldn't look at the tickets, that came back to bite me in the butt later on. It was a really difficult time for me, and I didn't realize how bad it was until a couple years later when I left that job, I lost that job, and... I lost my job, I lost my apartment at the same time because of some miscommunication between me and my roommate who is also the landlord illegally. There were just a whole lot of issues there. So I lost my apartment, I lost my job, I lost my car. Again, going back to all those speeding tickets, impounded. You know, apparently the DMV had been trying to find me because my address changed a lot, I was moving around a lot. I lost my girlfriend at the same time. So that was pretty much my rock bottom moment. So it sounds like your
1: story financially starts at that rock bottom moment, but I want to touch on something you said a little bit before. You said I was doing exactly what I should have been doing at the time.
0: What do you mean by that? I just felt like the kind of role I had And the kind of organization I was with, I felt like this is exactly what I want to be doing, and here it is coming to me pretty much right after college. Of course, it was like a starting position in the type of role that I wanted, the type of job, the type of industry, but it was a place that I felt I could probably stick with this for the rest of my life and move forward and become someone who directs an organization like this. And this would be perfect for me. I just wasn't prepared for the reality of what that would cost in terms of the amount of work and the lack of the amount of money.
1: I want to get a little bit more granular. What about the work itself? What was the organization
0: doing that was so appealing to you? What this is, is a drum and bugle corps. And drum and bugle corps are like marching bands, only they're highly competitive and they operate over the summer. It is, for the most part, a youth activity. While I studied to be a music teacher, here was my opportunity to get involved in these amazing organizations that are summer activities for kids who are 15 to 21. And they really develop these kids and turn them into, you know, just amazing people just in terms of their dedication and their hard work. And it's a great work ethic that the kids learn through being part of this program. And it's just an amazing activity. It's something that I had wanted to be a part of for a long time. It was great that I got the opportunity to work for one of the most renowned organizations in the world right after college. But sometimes your dream job isn't really such a dream. So this idea of being in
1: service to your community was pretty well developed in you even as a young adult.
0: Yeah, I think I knew from early on that I wanted to be a teacher. I think I was inspired by my third grade teacher, which was the first male teacher I had. He had a guitar and played a day to the kids. And I think it was at that point as a kid, I kind of decided that I wanted to be a teacher. And in high school, I kind of narrowed that down. And I'm like, I really love music. As proficient as I was in other fields, I was a computer geek. I loved science too. I loved languages. There were just so many things about, different topics and things that I was passionate about. But I really stuck with music in high school. And I thought, you know, I'm going to make this my life in some way. Music is an activity where, especially when you're teaching, any kind of teaching, you are really focused on other people. You're focused on the needs of others. And I didn't think about that at the time, but that's really important to me.
1: You had mentioned before that you decided pretty early on that you didn't want to just go and become a teacher. I'm thinking of like Bobby from Millennial Money, right? He was a band Mm -hmm. director. Why didn't that
0: type of position appeal to you? I was just kind of pulling away from it, even in my student teaching and my teaching jobs following college. I just wasn't enamored with the school system and systemic issues involved in, you know, whether it's public or private schools, it it doesn't matter. The structure, I think, is not very conducive to the kind of teaching and the kind of values that I have. I loved being in high school. I think, uh, you know, I wasn't a perfect student, of course, I made the most of the environment for myself. The way I did that was often going beyond kind of what was structured for me. I felt that I would be more effective, especially if I ended up working with kids in a way that's not confined by the academic structure.
1: It's funny you say that because as I was talking about in my intro, I many years later found almost the same exact thing with medicine, that there was something about the systemic nature of being a doctor that it stopped being about helping each patient separately and being part of their lives and became part of being this much larger structure that had its own constraints and had its own requirements that almost took me away from that joy I felt that day sitting on the lawn with this homeless person. And so I really connect with what you're saying about being a teacher. There's just something about that systemic structure that I personally had an issue with. And it sounds like you were much smarter than me and realized that at a very early age.
0: Yeah, and don't get me wrong, there are fantastic teachers who are within the system, just as there are fantastic doctors and specialists and and lots of different people in the medical field. I think it's going to be right for some people and for others like you and me, we just find other ways to have our impact in the world.
1: So let's go back to that moment where you lost your job and your apartment Mm -hmm. and your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. We often talk about the fact that you have to hit rock bottom before life changes. How did life change for you? What happened
0: next? At that point, I think about maybe five months, I had moved to be closer to the job, which was crazy. My boss was asking me to move closer to the job so I would be there more often. And I knew I was on the way out, but I decided to move up there anyway. And it was just horrible and horrible and horrible. So what happened when I lost all of that nearly at the same time, like within a two month period, everything fell apart. So I was 25, I think. And I moved back in with my dad. Uh, No big deal, except for the fact that with my parents having separated a few years before that, he had just moved in with his new partner. And so it was her house. As much as I appreciated all that they were both doing for me at the time, I knew that I wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible just to be out of their hair and get myself resituated and fixed up and, and moving in the right direction. So I sat down with my dad and we made a budget, the first real budget that I had ever made. Although I had been reading the Motley Fool discussion boards at that point, I mean, I was starting to become kind of a personal finance junkie. I was tracking my own money at that point but I hadn't really put a lot of this into practice yet. But I sat down with my dad. We made a budget. I did my best to stick to it. And I was out of their house in four months with a new job, something that I could commute to using the train because I still had no car. My license was revoked for some time. It was definitely a wake up call, a change in lifestyle for me. I moved in with three other roommates. I was paying $300 in rent, which was manageable in New Jersey for a third of the apartment. It was a new experience, you know, taking the bus to the train to Newark, New Jersey, to work in a big corporate office building, doing mind numbing tasks, doing them well, but still, it wasn't exactly what I was passionate about. In your bio,
1: I mentioned that you had been involved with online communities since mm-hmm. 1990, jokingly, right before the World Wide Web was a thing. Is this when you got involved in community building? And was it the Motley Fool Forum? Or how did you
0: first get into forming these communities? Well, I mentioned earlier that I was a computer geek, I enjoyed technology. And that goes back to my parents got me my first computer in the 80s when I was a teen and computers at the time, basically, whatever you wanted to do with them, you had to either program them yourselves. there weren't even disks at the time. I mean, there were but they were like. Massively expensive. So consumers used cassette tapes for programs. So you could buy cassette tapes, you can use cartridges in the computer. And anyway, I was learning how to program. I was just deeply involved in computers since an early age, which of course everyone is today. Back in the 80s, it was a little different. I got my first access to the internet in 1988 or 1989 as my mother was working for Princeton University. Princeton had internet at that time. It was very different. It wasn't the web. It was text-based. You can read messages from people all over the world on topics like science fiction, on TV, on video games, but I, I really liked this, the science groups. And I remember once I put out a message because I was a big science fiction fan, I like Doctor Who, I was like, so is time travel possible? And I put this out on the internet <laughs> in the this, in this science news group. And the the answers came from other people who had internet access at the time. And other people who had internet access included professors at universities all over the world, military, Folks who had in- access to the internet at the time. At some point, AOL gave internet access to everybody. This is before that. So I was getting all of these in depth physical science answers to questions about time travel, and I was like, the internet is cool. This is great. I love this. I eventually discovered. Computer bulletin board systems. I moderated this BBS where people would dial into my computer from their computers, exchange messages, exchange files, chats. It was the first online community that I created, and the technology back then was very different. When I went to college, every dorm room was wired for ethernet, and this is back in 1994. My university was one of the first to do this for all of their students. They were very technology forward, and I got into that. I continued to read and participate on news groups online, and I started seeing these HTTP things in people's signatures. I'm like, oh, what is that? Well, you know, what, what is this HTTP thing? the web was very new in 1994 and i ran a website out of my dorm websites within a year became the thing that everybody needed to have especially universities i built the first website for my college's music department i built the first website for my college's marching band and started teaching professors how to do their own websites it was my first side hustle although in 1995 i don't think anybody called it a side hustle
1: For the young people out there, I'm thinking back to the 1980s and those bulletin boards, and you had to like take your phone and put it into a cradle, right? The modem in order to connect anywhere outside of your home. It was a very, very different world. I started blogging in 2004, 2005 about medicine, and I thought I was an early adopter, but clearly you were on this from the way beginning. So it was a natural transition for you to start writing about personal finance when you started
0: Consumerism Commentary. Yeah, that's right. So by that time, like I said, I had moved to that corporate job. I was working eight hours a day, just doing the whole nine to five thing. And then coming home and just trying to figure out what else to do with my time. I decided to start Consumerism Commentary, a personal finance blog, to write about just what I was learning about money as I was reading from the Motley Fool's discussion board. And I want to be very clear, it was the discussion board that had the most interesting information on it. The articles on the Motley Fool... Many of them are very good, written by excellent experts at the time, but also they're very much engaged in the selling of their newsletter and stock picks and things like that. And I wasn't so much into that. So it was the discussion board back in the early 2000s that really hooked me. And I wanted to track my finances. I had previously been blogging about various things. I had a personal blog. I blogged about exercise that I was doing and failing at. And I'm like, hmm, I'm failing at this. Why don't I fail at something else publicly? So (laughs) the first post on consumerism commentary was a check in with my balance sheet, like, okay, what are my accounts? How much debt do I have? How much savings do I have? By 2003, I was already a little further along. I wasn't completely out of debt and I wasn't completely destitute. But my first post, I think my net worth was something like $3,000 or something like that. And you can go back, I think a lot of those archives are still on consumerism commentary 17 years later, even though the site has changed hands a few times. The intent was to every month publish an update about my finances and then to share articles and my commentary on what I was learning about money at the time. It was mostly for myself. You know, I didn't expect to get many readers, but people started digging it. I was happy for that. People would comment all the time. There really wasn't anybody else kind of writing about this stuff at the time. A few years later, still working at that corporate entity big insurance company the site kept gaining audience and the recession came in 2007 2008 2009 the stuff i had been writing about for five years or so just became something that everybody was looking to find online the amount of traffic increased quite a bit advertisers started coming out to me and trying to get in front of the readers which was good i had never started the site as a way to make money but it turned out it actually started making some money and i was like oh okay well this is interesting now all this time that i put into it actually has some kind of monetary value i was just doing it for the fun of it and because i loved learning about different things uh, including money i started thinking about how i could take it a little more seriously and i found myself working on it eight hours a night after my nine to five job i just enjoyed writing writing and writing and I just kept going. A lot of other blogs came up in the meantime and I made sure that I was communicating with other bloggers, uh, welcoming them to the community as it was at the time and just making sure that they knew that, hey, if they had any questions about blogging, they needed a place to host their websites. I was hosting probably 10 websites for different bloggers at the time and helping them with design and helping them grow their community, just fostering this whole idea of what it is to write about money in a way that's so different because everything else out there was written by journalists for CNN, CNN Money, or New York Times had a money column for a while. And actually, they reached out to the bloggers and realized that the bloggers were gaining a lot of traffic. So they created their their money page at the time based on the fact that They should be a part of this and get some of that traffic. It was very interesting to see how other media companies responded to what was going on in this nascent financial media community.
1: So it sounds like even from the beginning of your journey, being an early adopter, this idea of giving back to the independent financial media community was important to you, had real importance in your goals for what you were doing with your platform.
0: I was meeting great people, you know, some of them were like me, others were at different points of their life, and they wanted to share their experiences and their knowledge and their expertise, and they wanted to learn online. It wasn't so much back then that everyone wanted to project themselves as the expert, which is so important for personal branding today. You know, back 15 years ago, there was a lot of authenticity and people wanted to learn and they were blogging because the best way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. So it wasn't so much people positioning themselves as the expert. It was, hey, we're in this together. And I'm going to learn with you here. Follow my journey. This is going to be great. And we're all going to come out at the end of this much better than when we started. I just love that about the community. I love that about the people I was working with. I felt like if there's any way for me to help people, I mean, whatever I do, that's kind of where I am. The community itself got together in different ways. We made sure that we were available to new bloggers. It was a friendly place, and we inspired growth with a lot of people. You can trace the lineage of a lot of blogs back. You know, uh, a lot of people start to blog because of a blog they read. The blog they read was started because of a blog that they read. That blog was started because of a blog that they read, and you trace it all back to maybe 20 or so blogs in 2005 or so. And this
1: kind of fits with the Harlan Landis who originally wanted to be a teacher, came out of college and worked for a nonprofit and then got into personal finance blogging, which doesn't seem related at all until you realize that for you it was a platform to do maybe what you always considered doing as a kid helping people one-on-one, furthering their cause?
0: I think I've been consistent throughout my entire life. I don't know why. It's always been important to me. My mom, when I was a kid, asked me what I wanted to do if I had a million dollars. And I said, I want to start a foundation. Of course, at the time, I was mostly focused on music and arts. I just assumed that that would be an arts foundation at some point. But after I sold Consumerism Commentary and I was trying to decide what direction I wanted to take, whether I wanted to start a blog or whether I wanted to go back into music or what I wanted to do, the place for me was to continue what I had been building on for the last decade. That's this community. I had already started the Plutus Awards by that point, and I just knew that, okay, here's a great way to give back. I'm going to turn this into a mission-focused organization. I'm going to get a lot of great people on board, and we're going to do all the things that a community foundation would do. What about personal branding? I'm not a leading man. I'm just not. I'm more of a character actor. The personal branding... It kind of came about by accident. People tell me now that I actually did have a pretty strong personal brand when it came to consumerism commentary because I had a character's name. I went by Flexo. I didn't use my real name because I was posting my salary. I was posting lots of personal stuff and I didn't want potential employers finding all that. So it turns out that I did a decent job, but I wasn't out there saying I need to be on TV. I need to write a book. I need to do all of this stuff under my own name. I was never really focused on my own brand and never focused on myself. I prefer to hopefully let work speak for itself and then put attention onto the people who are out there doing great things.
1: In fact, you've taken anonymous to another level. You mentioned that you had gone by Flexo, but I heard you went by Spike. I've seen that you went (laughs) by Luke, right? On consumerism commentary, most of your posts are under Luke. You've done a little bit to actually cloak your identity, over the years. And certainly someone could be following Luke Landis and think that's your brother, as opposed to you directly.
0: Let me explain. (laughs) Writing as Flexo on consumerism commentary, I did get requests from newspapers and magazines to write for them as well. There were a few who said, well, you know, we love your writing. We want to feature an article by you. We can't use a byline as Flexo. So we, (laughs) we, we need your name. Luke is my middle name. I went by Luke Landis. That's all that was. I did that for an article here and there, still Flexo on the site. Eventually, I just kind of migrated everything from Flexo to Luke Landis on consumerism commentary before it was sold. To tie a bow
1: on it and then we'll move on. I asked in the beginning, how do you choose to give of yourself? And clearly, you choose not to be the front man, which, again, I think goes really well with your branding because you clearly are more the Plutus than the Zeus, so to speak. You're Mm -hmm. the kind of guy in the background doing good deeds, but not necessarily taking a lot of credit for it.
0: Yeah, and I'm fine with that. (laughs) That, That's uh, comfortable. Yeah, that's comfortable for me. People tell me they're appreciative. And so it feels good when people tell me that. I'd rather just put the focus elsewhere. (laughs) So let's do that for a little while. Let's talk about the
1: foundation Tell us what the goals are of the Plutus Foundation and furthermore, how are they pivoting in today's recession
0: pandemic environment? Yeah, we've been doing a lot of interesting stuff with the foundation in the last couple of years. And that's, again, thanks to the great team that we have, people who have great ideas all the time and we're always trying to make things work on behalf of this community. But the mission of the foundation, the goals are to be able to provide resources, including money, to the financial media community mostly focused on their work with financial literacy if a blogger or podcaster building up a community and they want to go into their physical community and do some work they want to teach classes they want to do something that's going to have an impact on their local community we want to support that we want to help them have the resources they need whether it's some kind of curriculum or whether it is the funding that they need to hold events, we want to help them do that and sponsor them. We do that through grants and we do that through sponsorships. We also, in recent years, thought it was important for us to run our own programs, rather than just supporting the programs of others. So that's where Plutus Voices has come into play, which has been great. Unfortunately, due to coronavirus, we've had to postpone our spring events. So we're rescheduling those. We're probably going to announce our first fall Plutus Voices event, which is going to be in Long Beach around the time of FinCon. We're going to go and have several events from there. But we also sponsor conferences, put on by members of the community. We have a podcast where we highlight the successes of people within our community and their stories. We just continue to come up with different projects. Right. Right now we're running a weekly series from two financial bloggers who wanted to talk about movies to watch while they're in quarantine. So we have that going. The first was released the day that we're recording this.
1: All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I noticed when you started answering this question, you said financial media and didn't say independent financial media. Was that on purpose or are you still mostly independent financial media focused?
0: Oh, mostly independent financial media, by which I mean bloggers and podcasters who have come onto this world because of something they're passionate about and not necessarily because they had a job from a newspaper or a magazine that told them to write about money, which it still works. And a lot of those people do go off and write their own books, write their own blogs, create their own podcasts on the side of what they do professionally. And some people will leave their professional jobs to do this on their own. There is a whole mixture. It's no longer delineated like it was back in the days where we'd have the financial bloggers, and then we'd have the financial media who were writing with CNN's website, New York Times, and Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post at the time. Very strong presences, but over the years, all of that has been blurred. I do talk about independent financial media when I want to make it clear that we're talking about bloggers and podcasters, but the term really isn't all that specific anymore.
1: What do you say to the people that say it's 2020, Independent financial media blogs and podcasts, it's overdone. The field saturated.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's saturated. I think everybody has something to say. One of my favorite people, Tess Bigland, said once in a conference that I was attending that there are only six stories in personal finance. And yes, that's true. There are only six stories. It could be six, it could be 10, it could be four. The point is there's only so many things that you can say about money, but there are so many different ways to say it and so many different ways to connect with people that two different people could say the same thing in two different ways. And someone in the audience might connect with it one way and not with the other. For those of us who are in the grind and we're involved in the community, we know that there are thousands of blogs out there and we feel like it's saturated. You know, when you're trying to find podcast guests, when we're talking... About the community when we're determining the Plutus Awards. It's massive to try to navigate this community sometimes. But also, there are millions of people out there who have never listened to a financial podcast and will listen to their first one next week, and it'll be a brand new podcast and it'll connect with them, or it won't connect with them and it will lead them to one that will. I think that there's space for all of that. We also feel with the Plutus Awards when we highlight newer blogs and new podcasts that sometimes it gives people the push that they need to continue going. And that's some of the feedback that I've received in the past. You know, thanks for giving us this. It really affirmed what I was doing. And not only did it bring new opportunities to us, partners that want to work with us now that they've heard of us, but it also made me want to keep going. That means the most to me when I hear that.
1: Tell us about the near and far-term goals for the Plutus Foundation and awards. Are you looking towards growth, per se,
0: or focusing more on impact? Growth and impact. I think we could always do more when it comes to impact. And the growth that has come through the foundation and the programs that we're doing over the last couple of years has been thanks to the people that we've brought on the team. My philosophy is a slow and steady growth When we first started the foundation, there were a lot of people who were advising me and they, you know, had a long list of things that the foundation needed to do and you absolutely have to do this. And I want the foundation to do this and I want the foundation to do that. My approach is to build it sustainably over time so that we can withstand recessions and we can pull back if we have to. And we don't try to take on too much at one time. So far, so good. Fingers crossed that that continues to hold out. I really like the growth that we've had and We want to do more with Plutus Voices. We want to do more with our own presence. My audience isn't the same as it was back when I was doing consumerism commentary. So I need to find ways to bring more people to what we're doing through the Plutus Foundation and have a deeper impact. The more people that we can reach out to in this community and the more we can partner with them, I've been so thankful for all the people who have given back to the community through the foundation, whether it's participating in webinars, Or social media takeovers, or guest posting on our site. You know, we can't always pay for everything, but we are just so enthusiastic and optimistic because so many people are willing to give back to the community through the Plutus Foundation. If we can continue to build that, part of when I had consumerism commentaries, it was always important to me to pay people fairly for the things that they were doing when there were additional writers writing for the site and various things like that. I want to be able to do that with the foundation. And I am so thankful that there are people who are willing to donate. But we want to get to the point where we can be just as competitive with the top blogs in terms of what they do for the people who help them out.
1: And you mentioned optimism and enthusiasm. Is the current recession and pandemic curbing that at all? What type of messaging are you thinking about putting out on behalf of the foundation about what's going on right now?
0: Well, a lot of that's coming through because of the postponement of the Plutus Voices events. So when we knew that we had to do that, It became clear that we wanted to do something else for the community during this time, not only provide good financial information for the public, but also give people within this community an outlet for creating something new. So we've been doing webinars. We had our first, which was a two-hour webinar, which might have been uh, pretty aggressive in terms of what we were doing. It was a great event, lots of great information. So what we decided to do after that was to do shorter webinars with one guest at a time. And so we've been airing those and those have been going well as well. We also want to build that to make sure that when someone is a guest on what we do through the foundation, they are reaching more people. So it's important for us to find ways to grow that. Those topics that we're doing for those webinars are focused mostly on what people can do during the time of this pandemic. If this is a recession during this time, whatever the financial situations are that people are living with, we want to be able to provide the information and the outlet for people within the community to provide that information in a new way.
1: Well, I started this podcast by asking, how do you choose to give of yourself? And Harlan Landis, it's clearly the answer for you is generously through your work with the Plutus Foundation, as well as Plutus Awards. It certainly has touched my life. I'd like to end this interview the way I end every single interview by asking you what is up next in your life and where can we find you on
0: the internet? Up next, more with the Plutus Foundation, obviously. We're going to be announcing our full Plutus Voices uh, within the next month or two. And more growth for that, more grants. What's next for me is, since I sold Consumerism Commentary, I've gotten back into working with Drum and Bugle Corps. I'm the director of a Drum and Bugle Corps based in New Jersey. Our summer season has been canceled, just like every other drum corps throughout the country. A big part of my life right now, besides the foundation, is planning for the next Drum and Bugle Corps. Season to begin in the fall. That is what is up next for me.
1: And if people listening want to get involved with the Plutus Foundation or Plutus Awards, is there any way for them to get connected to you or into the system?
0: Absolutely. Plutus Foundation, P L U T U S Foundation dot ORG, Twitter and uh, Instagram at Plutus Awards. And I'm at Harlan Landis, and you can find me all over the internet. It's impossible not to run into me.
1: All right. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G,
0: I'd like to thank Harlan Landis. Thank you so much, Doc G. I really appreciate being here.
1: That's a wrap. I'm hoping the next segment is a special treat for you guys. As you may remember, I spoke at the Economy Conference earlier this year in March. This was a conference discussing the new American dream and financial independence. And this was one of the favorite talks I've ever given. It is so profoundly who I am. It's profoundly personal. It was a joy to give, and I'm happy to have it here for you right now. Take a listen. The name of this talk is called Three Vignettes, Three Lessons. Three Vignettes. Three Lessons. Three Vignettes. Three Lessons. Vignette 1. Fie in the sky. So the unfathomable tragedy came to pass that three unlucky individuals stumbled upon the pearly gates to the entrance of heaven at the same time. The first was a haggard man stooped over an old cane made of wood. He appeared far older than his 45 years on earth. His clothes were worn and he had several holes in his mud-caked jeans. His shoes had lost all form and looked more like random swaths of cloth slapped together with a few measly threads of twine. He was thin with a protuberant abdomen. Although bedraggled and malnourished, he strode up to St. Peter with a mix of humility and pride. He hadn't survived all those decades on the streets for nothing. St. Peter looked down lovingly and opened his arms as if to embrace this poor soul. His words were like honey, soft and kind. Welcome, Timothy, son of God. What was your purpose down there on earth? And Timothy replied, pardon me, sir, for my purpose was meek, for I was a homeless man. Devoid of riches or shelter. I lived on the street faithfully, begging for all that would sustain me. Although I never built nor created, I was kind and gentle. I supported my fellow man in need and was never driven to steal nor trespass. I might not have amounted to much, but I lived Purely. St. Peter replied, Welcome to the kingdom of heaven. As you say, your heart was kind and your spirit true. Here you will find that you never lack for food or sustenance. You will be adorned in the finest cloth. You'll have no use for money because all your needs will be provided for. As the last words left, the great saint's mouth, the pearly gates swung open and Timothy joyously leapt through. Next, it was Stephen's time at the front of the line. He wore a well-tailored suit that hugged his muscular physique perfectly. A briefcase swung in his well-manicured right hand. His face was tan And not a hair was out of place on his head. St. Peter looked down lovingly and opened his arms as if to embrace this confident soul. His words were like honey, soft and kind Welcome, Stephen, Son of God. What was your purpose down there on earth? Stephen replied, I was a titan of Wall Street. I made more money than I ever could have imagined. Although I didn't have much time to enjoy it, I provided amply for my wife and my daughter. I lived a life of great stress, but never did it drive me to become a liar or a cheat. Many a man was made rich by my hard work. Many charities were fully funded by my firm. St. Peter replied, Welcome to the kingdom of heaven. As you say, your heart was kind and your spirit true. Here you will find that you never have to be a slave to money ever again. You will enjoy all the riches you had on earth but you will only be allowed to work at that which brings you joy. In fact, you never have to work again if you don't want to. You will have infinite possibilities in how to spend your day. As the last words left the great saint's mouth, the pearly gates swung open, and Stephen joyously leapt through. Finally, it was Sarah's time in front of the podium. She wore a t-shirt and jeans and walked to the front as if she was in no particular hurry. She showed none of the signs of physical deprivation of Timothy, nor the stressed countenance of Stephen. St. Peter looked down lovingly and opened his arms as if to embrace this nonchalant soul. His words were like honey, soft and kind. Welcome, Sarah, daughter of God. What was your purpose down there on Earth? Sarah replied, I was a daughter and a sister and a wife. I wrote a blog, and I helped create a community. I also like to teach yoga on the weekends for fun. I left my corporate job at the age of 35 after I discovered such luminaries as J.L. Collins, Jack Bogle, and Mr. Money Mustache. My path to early financial independence allowed me to travel the world. I experienced many cultures. I slept late on Mondays and drank coffee at midnight on Tuesdays. I've lived a full life. Now, St. Peter was a little perplexed by Sarah. He couldn't decide if she was poor and homeless, like Timothy, or was she stressed and overworked, like Stephen. He figured probably a little bit of both. St. Peter replied, Welcome, Sarah, daughter of God. Here you will find that you never lack for food or sustenance. You will be adorned in the finest cloth. You'll have no use for money because all your needs will be provided for. You will only be allowed to work at that which brings you joy. In fact, you never have to work again if you don't want to. You will have infinite possibilities in how you spend your time. Now Sarah couldn't help but giggle. And she looked up shyly at St. Peter and said, What? Are you sending me back to Earth? <laughs> Vignette one, Fie in the Sky. Lesson one, Bring a little piece of heaven to Earth with financial independence. Vignette two, Oh, the money you'll save. Congratulations. Today is your day. Your money is invested in great places. You're off and away. You've got brains in your head and feet in your shoes. You can invest your money in any way you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you're going to be the guy who decides where your money goes. You'll look up and down term sheets. Look them over with care. About some, you'll say, I don't choose to put my money there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to take a random walk down Wall Street. And you might not find any mortgages you wish to pay down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. It's opener there, in the wide open air. Out there, things tend to happen and frequently do to people as cash-heavy and as frugal as you. And when they start to happen, don't worry. Don't stew, just keep on investing, and your net worth will start to rise, too. Oh, the money you'll save. Your balances will be on the way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high earners who soar to high heights. Your net worth won't lag behind because you have all you need. You'll surpass the whole gang, and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you invest, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, your dividends will top the rest, except when they don't, because sometimes they won't. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true, the bear markets and capital losses can happen to you. (laughs) You'll get caught up in a prickly perch, your assets will go lower, and you'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from that lurch with an unpleasant bump, and the next thing you know, you'll be in a stock market slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Holding on to those investments and not selling is not easily done. You'll come to a place where the roads are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're dark. A place where the market could give you one on the chin. Do you dare stay out? you dare go back in, how much could you lose? How much could you win? And if you go back in, do you dollar cost average or jump? Or jump just three quarters or some other lump? Or wait around for the Dow to bump? Easy it's not, I'm afraid you will find for a mind maker upper to make up his mind." You'll get so confused that you'll start into race down long, wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space. Headed, I fear, towards a most useless place the waiting place. For people, just waiting, waiting for a tenant to go, or waiting for a windfall to come, or waiting for a stock to grow or waiting for the mail to come, or waiting for a side hustle to go, or waiting for the phone to ring, or waiting for a pattern to show, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for market capitalization to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for a client to bite, or waiting for the wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for a Friday night or waiting, perhaps, for your rich Uncle Jake, or a pot of gold, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or Paula Pant, or some investment advice, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. No, that's not for you. Somehow you'll escape all that waiting and staying. You'll find the bright places where the Choose FI podcast is playing. (laughs) And with banner flip-flapping, once more, your net worth will ride high. Ready for any downturn under the sky? Ready because you're that kind of guy? Oh, the money you'll save. There are things to be done. There are points to be scored. There are free flights to be won. You'll try not to bumble. Your taxes will be done. You can't even help it. You might get a small refund. Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. I'm afraid that sometimes there'll be lonely times too, investments that can't win because they'll be made by only you. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone with financial fears, you'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance those fears will scare you right out of your pants. There are many down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much you won't want to go on. But on you will go though the market be foul. On you will go, though the bears growl. On you will go, though your tenants howl. Onward up many a frightening peak, although your balances get sore and your accounts may leak. On and on you'll hike, and I know you'll hike far and stand up to your financial problems, whatever they are. You'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange investments as you go. So make sure when you step, step with care and even tact, and remember that your finances are a great balancing act. Never forget to be a true money boss, and never mix up your traditional with your Roth. (laughs) And will you succeed? Yes, yes, of course, indeed. 98 and three quarters percent guaranteed, kid. You'll make mountains. So be your name Bogle or Collins or JD or you're some funny guy with a mustache named Pete. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Financial independence awaits you. So get on your way. Vignette Owe oh, the money you'll save. Lesson two. In your path to financial independence, there will be ups and downs. Persist. Vignette three. Underdog, become the champion. I am a product extracted from an era. My mother swears that she knows the exact moment when each one of her three boys was conceived. (laughs) For me... It was during my father's long convalescence with mononucleosis. (laughs) He also was using protection. I should have never come to be. Cruise like a fruit, ship like foreign goods. Out of that maelstrom grew a tender, sensitive boy who was the youngest of three. I was babied and coddled and never knew of hardship nor discomfort. Now all Amman overpopulate neighborhoods. It was just before my father's death that I was diagnosed with a learning disability. I couldn't do what the other kids could. I was the last in my class to learn how to tie my shoes. It was on the eve of my father's premature demise that we were poised to move to a new home in a new neighborhood so that I could repeat second grade without all the social stigma of staying in the same school system. These thoughts I retain cannot remain inside me. People had their way they probably want to hide me. Instead, my father went to work one morning and never came home. We never bought the home. We never moved. Three months later, in front of my whole class, my teacher graduated me from coloring books to reading at grade level. She placed text after text in front of my face, and I did something that I had never done before. I read. Never should they think of me as just dust. I am not the lint for them to just thrush. For the next five years, I went to a tutor every week to catch up with my peers. Throughout middle school and high school, I failed at just about everything. I failed at just about everything, because they know who I am. They dare not laugh. I practiced basketball all summer long to make my freshman year team. I then choked in the second round and was cut. Every girl I was interested in either turned me down or laughed in my face. So I buried myself in books. I started to exercise and lift weights. I began to write poetry. I figured I had failed at everything else so far. What else did I have to lose? My skills stem first from me, arts and crafts. I'm a builder who's created many nations. It was right around then that I discovered rap music. Not just the misogynistic, violent type, but also the call for social change. Keras One and Boogie Down Productions. One, two, three, the crew is called BDP. And if you want to go to the tip top, stop the violence and hip hop. Or maybe Chuck D and Public Enemy. I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for the army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said, never. Or who could have forgotten Slick Rick the ruler? Hey, young world, the world is yours. Young world, young world, the world is yours. Young world, through all the cities and all the neighborhoods, my meaning's overlooked and I'm never understood. These words spoke to the weak suburban kid who could never seem to get it done. Especially a song by a band Third World called Theme from the Underdog, Underdog Become the Champion. It became my anthem, the silent antidote to all the sadness, guilt, and shame for having so much and yet being so little. It helped me find my center of power. It became my theme music. My mind and body is feared when used together. Not only am I strong, but also clever. These have been the words that I have said to myself before amazing delight, heartbreaking fear, earth-shattering anxiety. But even after this, they still don't believe Upon graduating high school, while taking the entrance exams to medical school, on my first day of residency, in that night in the ICU when I held another human being's life in my hands and I failed, upon giving my most sacred vows to my wife, that I can advance and grow and achieve just as they can, or maybe even better, on October 25th, 2004, when I held my son in my arms during his first few moments of life, when I decided to give up clinical medicine and stop being a doctor. A few moments ago, before I started giving this talk, they tried to hold me back like a book holds letters. This kid, birth itself, an unlikely probability, guilty, ashamed, failure-prone, and learning disabled, wandering through high school halls with a litany of rap lyrics pulsating through his ever-expanding mind, this kid, this kid became one with my center of power by discovering a few throwaway song lyrics. But I won't be ignored, and I'll fight to the fall so it does not hurt when they call me the underdog." Vignette three, underdog, become the champion. Lesson three, find a way to touch your center of power and be fierce. So there you have it. Three vignettes, three lessons. Vignette one, Fly in the sky. Lesson one, bring a little piece of heaven to earth with financial independence. Vignette two, oh, the money you'll save. Lesson two, in your path to financial independence, there will be ups and downs. Persist. And lesson three, underdog become the champion. Find a way to touch your center of power and be fierce. Fierce. So I would be remiss if I finished this talk without regaling you with the full lyrics to my theme song. (laughs) So I'm going to perform it for you right now. (laughs) This is the theme from The Underdog, The Underdog Become the Champion by Third World. I am a product extracted from an era, an era of grief, poverty, and terror. Cruise like a fruit, ship like foreign goods. Now all of mine overpopulate neighborhoods. These thoughts I retain cannot remain inside me. People have their way. They probably want to hide me. Never should they think of me as just dust. I am not the lint for them to just thrush. Because they know who I am. They dare not laugh. My skills stem first from me, arts and crafts. I'm a builder who's created many nations to the time of now, from the start of plantations, through all the cities and all the neighborhoods. My meaning's overlooked, and I'm never understood. My mind and body is feared when used together. Not only am I strong, but also clever. My anatomy is similar, yet it's unique, with strength and coordination and stone-heart physique. But be that as it may... I've been denied what I've earned. This course of knowledge, I cannot hide what I've learned. Any land, any structure, I'm the owner, the founder, the father, the labor donor. Any invention discovered, I own the rights. My people and I shared many sleepless nights. But even after this, they still don't believe that I can advance and grow and achieve just as they can. Or maybe even better, they try to hold me back like a book holds letters. But I won't be ignored and I'll fight to the fall so it does not hurt when they call me The underdog. So I, I did a decent amount of research on you and finding I found one or two podcasts, but you're not all over. And that to me was part of the really interesting story of what I wanted to bring out is you're an interesting person and you're an interesting person partially because you don't throw yourself out there. Right. You don't make it about you. You're certainly interested in service and you do it in a nice way quiet, humble but very impactful way. And that makes you a very interesting person at least to me. You know, this this is the kind of thing that interests me and usually what interests me tends to interest my audience or they wouldn't be mm-hmm. listening. Right, um, sure. So yeah. I think I think it's a great story and I think the work you've done should be highlighted. I think people all know about a decent amount of the work you've done. They might just not know
0: about you. <laughs> Well, I, I really appreciate that. I was, uh, I was at, um, we did Plutus Voices in Atlanta and, um, afterwards a bunch of us went out to dinner and, um, and yeah, the, people asked me about my story. And I, I basically told them a lot of what we talked about today, the background. And uh, I was i was surprised that people were just like fascinated by it. I'm like, this is, I don't know. I, I, I was, this this was the 90s. You know, there, there were people like me out there. They were, you know, doing geeky things and coming up with creative ways to do things. But, um, but I just thought it was... Uh, Interesting that people thought that my story was so fascinating, but I'm happy to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's also
1: fascinating because so Plutus, as well as FinCon, as well as some of these other things, are our institutions, right? The way we define ourselves as a community of people interested in, in this case, independent financial media, these are the institutions that help define us and bring us together. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, we feel intimately tied to these institutions, right? We go to FinCon and get all excited and show up to the Plutus awards and see our friends go up there and a lot of new bloggers or new podcasters or freelancers are like how, you know, God, I hope I can get to that point somewhere. So this is, mm-hmm. this is like part of the community. So it's natural that at some point you're like, okay, now I know this is part of our community, but then you take the next step and say, well, what's really behind it? Tech moves fast.